now. This is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news without Willem van Denveren shortly, who is watching Germany versus Morocco as we speak. But we'll get by with that and with all the latest on the Matildas on a high following their opening World Cup group win over the Republic of Ireland. And while the focus of the show will rightly be on the tournament with European competitions resuming in a couple of weeks, we'll have a brief update on the Socceroos around the world. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyer and will be joining us throughout the show. Now, first up, while our, as I say, focus in the past month or so has been on Australia's role as co-host of the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup, of course, the prospects of the Matildas have been our highest priority, but our cousins across the ditch have been preparing to host the other half of the tournament with far lower expectations of their national side. Expectations which have now had the lid well and truly blown off after the football ferns set the competition alight with a convincing win over world number 12. Norway to talk us through how the nation has reacted and its effect on the tournament. Our good friend from across the ditch, Sky Sports New Zealand, the great Jason Pine. Then we'll head across to the UK to see how the rather shaky performance of the European champions went down as the Lionesses had their blushes spared with an unconvincing win over a team nearly 50 spots lower than them on the FIFA rankings. Haiti, who in a valiant loss made the football world sit up and take notice of the Caribbean nation to discuss the fallout and whether expectations have been revised for Serena Wiegmann's English women. We'll have a chat to Charlotte Harper from The Athletic. Edge, the World Cup's underway. Now, you are the king of World Cups. You've been to more World Cups than Lionel Messi's played in them. Um, are you feeling the love? Is this well and truly a World Cup? Is it alive? It is alive, Rob. Here we go. It's unprecedented scenes in Asia uh, and Oceania and, uh, and the Pacific for women's football. Australia and New Zealand is buzzing. Auckland and Sydney are awash with tourists. 25,000 US fans have descended on Auckland. You cannot get a bed in Auckland. There's many, many other thousands in, in Australia. Mm. My hotel in Sydney where I'm staying, uh, there was more people speaking French at breakfast than, <laughs> than English. Uh, it's fantastic to be working in football. It's fantastic time to be alive. And I'm just so happy for all my Australian friends and families, uh, football followers and non-football followers to um, hopefully get uh, touched by the love of this event and and uh, bring it on, Rob. We're here. It's happening. And uh, we're, just about at, we're just about out of the first round of group games into the second round where where um, things get really interesting because mm-hmm. you know, the teams like Switzerland, yeah. it's on the line, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Derek and I, uh, Derek, we, we broke our World Cup cherry. Um, we were uh, in different parts of the ground, but it was a very special day for you, um, taking your uh, your beautiful little daughter along to the uh, the Canada Nigeria match. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. Just even getting to the outside of the ground, and obviously you and I bumped into each other as we were uh, the infamous crossing at Punt Road, and it was fabulous to know that at one stage during the first half there were. Three of the four um, stands had a, uh, a box-to-box representative in it. We only needed an edge in that stand where the, the players come out and we would have had the, the full quota, but we all got different angles of the of, of the same game. And, yes, uh, mm. my little daughter had a lovely time. I think she probably had, a you know, more a, probably preferved more eating hot chips and running up and down the stairs mm-hmm. and giving her dad a heart attack. 
uh, for most of the second half. But um, she did enjoy the game, and and I enjoyed uh, casting my eye on what was my first World Cup of any description debut. Mm. So yeah, uh, yeah, I know it was great. Yeah, no, fantastic, and and I've been really looking forward to doing the show this week because, uh, you know, we've got uh, Jason Pine ahead. Jason's always excited. Uh, he's really uh, a proud Kiwi, um, and uh, and will give us a real good insight into to what uh, the reaction of the football ferns win has has done to the tournament over there. And Charlotte Harper, well, all of our friends from the Athletic, they never let us down. Well, look, let's get going with the news. Only one story to get us started. As we all know, the Matildas took three points from their opener against Ireland on Thursday, but mystery remains as to whether Sam Kerr will feature at all as she battles a calf injury. Kyra Cooney-Cross told the press on Monday that Kerr had torn her calf, although Football Australia labelled this a slip of the tongue and stated teammates were not privy to such information. The Matildas played their second group game against Nigeria on Thursday at Suncorp Stadium. Now, Edge, um, Kyra uh, is a sports a professional sportswoman. Um, she knows the difference between a tweak, a tear... And she's in the in a sanctum. Do you believe the backtracking that Football Australia have done? Um, are they keeping the lid on it? They did keep uh, it very quiet. Um, we only heard half an hour before kickoff. Um, should we be preparing for Sam Kerr not to play um, uh, up to the uh, the knockout stages or at all? If you've been an athlete in, involved in uh, sport at any level, whether it's professional or amateur, and you have done a calf, whether you've tweaked it or torn it, you really never know uh, until you put it under under pressure when you when when you think it's okay to go again. And you know, out of all the all the soft tissue injuries, if you do a calf, it's it's the one that you're more most likely to do again if you come back too early. So, hmm. look, I, I just think um, I thought Tony Gustafsson was right to mention the mental. Uh, the, the achievement of, of getting through that game, and because the group would would have would have come to a great shock to the group, you know she's, you know she's on every billboard, she's on every TV ad, um, you know she's been the face of Australia's uh, pre World Cup campaign in all the promotional material. She fronts the media regularly. I mean everybody's been commenting how um, mature she's been and she's been relaxed. So it would have been a huge shock to them, regardless of what they say. Uh, but I think the team now, I think behind closed doors. Uh, I mean, there, I think there's little hope of Sam Kerr playing in this World Cup, regardless of how bad the in- injury is. Um, there might be a time where they have to roll the dice in a game to give it a go, but, you know, she might last 10 minutes. They're the sort of injuries they are. So I think the, the, the public need to really probably prepare themselves that they may not see Sam Kerr because, you know, at the end of the day, a calf muscle injury is a difficult thing to get over in a short period of time. And, you know, it is it is so tragic for her because... You know, she is irreplaceable in that team. She's the captain. She's uh, got a huge profile. She's uh, even if she doesn't play well, she draws a lot of defensive pressure and provides opportunities for others. So it was a big, it was a big blow to overcome. So I think Tony Gustafsson's right to mention that. But um, I think in the World Cup corner, I want to talk about the forward formation and what are options he mm. has in the mix of players because yeah. I think we need yeah. to go out with the best forward mix in the game. Well, why don't we pause on that, and that will be our feature piece uh, in, in World Cup Corner where we try to dissect uh, what the squad looks like and what it should look like. Uh, and God forbid, um, if they do make a decision to to um, to cut Sam from the squad, 
um, do they bring in um, another player? I mean, is it at that point um, and, and can they do that? We'll talk about that in World Cup Corner. Now, the Football Ferns, we're going to talk to Jason Pine soon, have had their preparation for their meeting with the Philippines disrupted after their Auckland hotel was set on fire. A man has been charged with arson and a fray, although New Zealand football do not believe it was a targeted attack. The team were among patrons to be evacuated. The incident comes shortly after the death of four people in a shooting in Auckland City Centre. The football ferns kicked off the tournament with a surprise win over Norway and will play the Philippines in Wellington on Tuesday. Derek, uh, for sleepy little New Zealand, uh, which is meant to be one of the safest places in the world, uh, uh, They've packed in the drama around uh, the uh, the opening matches of this tournament. Yeah, obviously there were those um, shootings the day that the, the tournament started and the Kiwi police had to react pretty quickly to that. And yeah, getting uh, getting woken up in the middle of the night is uh, never, never a, a good thing. Um, uh, it's usually rival fans and all the shenanigans you, you hear at some of the uh, European away uh, games that some uh, English teams in particular have had to suffer over over the years but yeah not far from far from ideal but obviously um that they'll just be feeling so pumped uh from that mm. amazing result at the start we were kind of writing them off a little bit um on this show and other people have been mm. writing them off too but those scenes in uh, in auckland where edge was was certainly amazing yeah, just amazing. Um, okay, Japan, Spain and the USA were among the big winners through the opening weekend of the tournament, although England were made to sweat through a 1-0 win over Haiti. The Lionesses' Georgia Stanway was offered a reprieve after her first half penalty was saved by goalkeeper Curly Toos after Toos was found to have encroached Stanway scored the game's only goal. Now, uh, this rule's been around for about four years now, so uh, there was no excuse, really. Uh, Sadly, she dived the right way and at the right angle, so if Stanway had have uh, taken that shot and and Toos didn't encroach edge, uh, I reckon she saves that goal and and it ends up nil all. If you're an English football supporter, whether it's the Lionesses or the the men's team, you've got to be worried about uh, what happened in that game. And, um, and how good were Haiti? Mm. I mean, and they could have easily scored a goal. You know, they oh, yeah. had two or three really good chances that they, yeah. So I think there'll be a lot of soul search. I mean, the first games in World Cups can be, you know, the, for the for the for the favourites, the mindset is often don't lose rather mm. than win the game. And I think we mm. saw a bit of that in the Australia game. I think we saw a bit of that in the English game. I think we saw a bit of that in the the Netherlands match as well. So. Um, yeah, some of these big favourites, you know, they were very nervous. I thought the Australians and English players were very nervous in the first half. So I think now that that's out of the way um, and the tournament opens up because there's there's teams there in the second game that have their have their tournament on the line. So, you know, the, the, the approach to the game is very different. Yeah, very much so. And we all know what happened in Qatar. Um, Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia, went on to lift the trophy. So uh, anything's possible, particularly for these match-hardened or tournament-hardened teams like the Lionesses who who know what it feels like to go all the way. Elsewhere, three goals in six minutes saw Spain defeat Costa Rica in Wellington, although they were made to settle for second place in Group C for now after Japan were imperious, putting five past Zambia, who were expected to be one of the uh, the dark horses uh, of the tournament. Jamaica earned their first, first point in World Cup history in a nil-all draw against France. Uh, I heard the coach after the match saying that this was the greatest moment in the history of Jamaican football, bar none, the reggae boys or girls, uh, although they will be without their skipper and talus woman, Khadija Shaw, for their next match following a late Bunny's red. A super player. They've, they've lost a, that's a big blow to them. That's, that's really... And a blow to the tournament 
Connor McCutcheon. She mm. She's just a very, very good footballer and a powerful woman. And um, yeah, they'll be hurting about that. Yeah, that's right. Bunny Shaw uh, is one of the uh, the, the real um, iconic players of, uh, of of football, and uh, it, it is a real shame for her to, to to be missing out at least one game. And now uh, on to some other sporting news. This sort of dropped like a sort of a dead cat off a high building, didn't it? Tony Sage's 17-year ownership of Perth Glory came to an end at the weekend with the club placed into voluntary receivership. Former Glory CEO Scott Gooch estimates the licence to be worth a minimum $25 million. And while the Australian Professional League's Danny Townsend stated foreign investment is possible, Sage stated the COVID-19 pandemic and last season's forced move to Macedonia Park as factors in his decision to walk away from the club, which he described as his fourth child. I really do think that we, um, we do need to do a deeper dive into the glory after the tournament's over, Edge, um, because, uh, you know, despite uh, some of the comic nature of Tony Sage's ownership, they were the only club from the old NSL who were bought holus bolus into the new A-League because they were meant to be everything that everyone aspired to be. And now it's come to this, where Tony Sage is walking away and the glory are in this parlous situation. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really unfortunate factor. This next buyer for the Perth glory is critical to the success of not only the club, but... Uh, football in the West. Yeah, with all of the great stuff that's happening with the Socceroos and uh, with, the, with the Matildas, I reckon Football Australia is pretty thankful that they no longer own, um, you know, the majority stake in this uh, A-League uh, project because, you know, with Perth going this way, you know, Perth and Newcastle now owned by the other clubs. Um, you know, Brisbane, yeah, not in great shape. Central Coast, you know, their, their, their challenges have been well documented. Um, you know, Western United and MacArthur, uh, they get a crowd. You know, they can't be going too well financially. Um, and the looming prospect of the traditional football fan heading back to the National Second Division if that gets up. So mm. I'll tell you what, um, if you're an external international football investor, which there are many, I know a few, you would be looking at the A-League and shaking your head because it's not a good story at the moment. No, and that is uh, um, not a good element of that not good story. Okay, Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. It's time to start putting plans in place to support the Socceroos in Qatar next January as they chase the 2024 Asian Cup. Get in touch with Edge and the team at ggatravel.com.au and express your interest. Now, Thomas Deng will be hoping to play a key role with the Socceroos come January and he's putting his best foot forward playing another 90 minutes for Alberex Nagata in a 1-0 win over Sapporo. Nagata sit 14. Mitch Duke also found the net for Mashita Selvia in J2. He remains Australia's most prominent striker, but his side lost their grip on top spot in a 3-1 loss. Aussie defenders galore in Korea's K-League. Alex Grant played a full match for the second-place Pohang in their win over John Book Motors, while Harrison Delbridge came off the bench for mid-table Incheon in a win over FC Seoul. So, gentlemen, that's the truncated version of Socceroos and Matildas Central because uh, we're wanting to talk as much about uh, the, um, the big tournament uh, as we can. Um, Ed, you and I are going to have a chat with Jason Pine after the break. Derek and I are going to talk to Charlotte Harper later in the show. So really fascinated to see what both of them have got to say about the tournament, uh, the matches that they've seen so far. Stick around. That's all next on Box to Box. We always say we love cooking and eating on this show, don't we? In fact, we do like cooking, but it's better to eat when you don't cook. As my good friend Johnny Accardo says, 
spices from hoist change the mood of your food. Uh, it was something that really, really emerged during the pandemic, where a lot of people were cooking at home and uh, and in the supermarkets, the the sales of herbs and spices really reflect that. And uh, it's going on still to, to this day. I mean, uh, people are, are cooking a lot at home and using herbs and spices. So if you haven't gotten on the bandwagon yet, I want you to try this. Do you like meatballs? Extend the family meal with mints um, and make a meal that's hearty and flavoursome and you can uh, use it maybe on a, a meatball sub the next day like a sandwich then why wouldn't you make a whole batch yeah so you get the so you get whatever mints you want you get lamb beef pork i like a combination of pork and veal mints italian style great a red onion a red chili get a teaspoon of cumin paprika and turmeric and get a thumb print size of grated ginger some salt and pepper coriander and parsley chopped up one egg whisk it two cans of tomatoes for your sauce and some garlic in the sauce you make the meatballs about a golf ball size fry them off take them out then saute the garlic put the tomato in let it sweat down and then put the meatballs back in bit of couscous uh, some pasta made absolutely delicious michael remember refill your empty spice jars with hoyt's value packs you'll be happy if you do with hoyt's at coles woolworths and all good independent supermarkets Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, while we've been covering the World Cup, largely an Australian point of view up, we've been closely watching preparations across the ditch. And as ticket sales stubbornly refused to gain the same momentum as Australia, there was only one obvious solution, and that was for the home nation to get off to a respectable start. Not only did they do that, but they made every Kiwi sit up and take notice, as well as the rest of the football world, as they knocked off a side with a proud football pedigree in Norway and set themselves up for a run at the knockout stages. And of course, our go-to correspondent from Aotearoa is none other than our mate from Sky Sports New Zealand, Jason Pine. Great to have you. Yeah, what an intro, and you're right. It's something. We got something on Thursday. So do you think that's a fair assessment? I mean, um, there had been doubts. There were plenty of people asking why ticket sales were lagging. I mean, the football ferns came into the competition on a 10-game losing streak bar, the pre-tournament win over Vietnam. Um, is, is it fair to, to think that Australia, with great expectations for the Matildas to get to the real pointy end of the tournament, that Kiwis were thinking, oh, well, look, we'll just see how it goes. And, you know, and if it looks good, we might join in and this will be one for the diehards and the, and the visitors. That's exactly, I think, what happened. That was exactly the the situation over here is there was, um, yeah, real pessimism. We were, there was optimism on, on your side of the ditch about the Matildas and how they might go and... and, and Look, we're, um, we're cheering them on, just as you are, uh, to, to go deep into this tournament. Over here, real pessimism around New Zealand for the reasons you outlined. You know, a terrible record coming into the tournament, and nothing in the way of form to speak of, and and really just some, some ambivalence, I guess, towards the whole thing. But, well, honestly, since Thursday night, all anybody is talking about over here is the Football World Cup and the football ferns. And we had uh, Italy play Argentina tonight at Eden Park, had 30-odd thousand turn up to that. Uh, the other day, the United States were here. Yes, they bring with them a lot of travelling fans, but 41,000 uh, turning up to watch that. And the rain in Wellington yesterday, nearly 20,000 turning up to watch Sweden, South Africa. Look, I know these aren't big crowds compared to what's happening over there, but they're certainly much bigger than a lot of people thought they would be pre-tournament. One win changes a lot, Uh 
expectations of a respectable performance had now obviously changed completely. So the other two teams in the group, Switzerland and the Philippines, the Philippines were very unlucky uh, not to at least split the difference with Switzerland uh, in their opening match. So it, it is going to be very tricky just to negotiate uh, the rest of this group. But uh, momentum is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and I think that's it. This has given the New Zealand side, yeah, momentum, belief. Uh, look, they, I think they always believed that they had something like this in them. I just think they had to convince us of that, and, and they did the other night. So you're right. I mean, the, I think pre-tournament, guys, the Philippines were the team who New Zealand thought, right, there's the game that we can win. Norway are 12th in the world. Switzerland's are 20th. New Zealand are 26th. The Philippines are 46th at their first World Cup, male or female, in a, in a senior sense. So that's the one you look at and say, right, there could be the win. Now that the win has been achieved against Norway, the narrative has changed to like, okay, if we beat the Philippines now, we've got one foot in the round of 16. And and that was something that was by no means certain or being talked about with any great confidence before the tournament started. So, yeah, look, the Philippines will be tough. They were good against Switzerland, I agree, under the roof in Dunedin, uh, coached, of course, by Alan Stachich, who we know, know well from his time uh, in the Australian footballing community. Uh, went to his press conference today and he was... Uh, he was optimistic that they would kick on from from what happened uh, in Dunedin. He said, "Look, we're here to crash the party. That's what we're here for. We're not here to we're not here to usher New Zealand into the round of 16. We're here to crash this party. So yeah, they'll be well up for it tomorrow night." Piney Yitke Klimkova, she's um, I, I just had the sense a lot of people were losing confidence in her in the lead up to to the tournament. What was the key messaging from her post match, and what sort of emotion did she? Um, exhibit on the sidelines during and after the game yeah real emotion and i think you know a lot of different emotions relief would have been one of them without a shadow of a doubt you know that the work they put in because they spent nine weeks together leading into this tournament it's the most i can remember any new zealand football side having leading into any tournament so you know well done to new zealand football for arranging that and they worked hard during those nine weeks but you know the proof of the pudding is is on the football field and in a 90-minute game and and just to watch the way that they played the other night, you know, this wasn't a smash and grab. This was a, a good performance from New Zealand. And I think Yitka, you're right. She was starting to 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 run out of cards, really, to play. And the, the one she played on Thursday night was a win against Norway. And all of a sudden, things have completely changed. She looked like a coach who'd had the weight of the world lifted off her shoulders on Thursday. And even today in, in the media conference, uh, you know, she'd quickly reverted back to, okay, we're not done. This isn't this isn't an end point. This is a, a launching pad for us. But, yeah, it, it was obvious just how much it meant to her, her coaching staff, who have been through a lot, and the players as well, who've had a miserable time of things in the last year. Certainly nothing like the build-up they would have hoped in terms of results. So, yeah, real emotion from, from Yitka, Klimkova, and, and everybody associated with the team. When I compare the um, the Ferns to the Matildas, I just sense that the New Zealand Ferns are a little bit behind in terms of their impact on the New Zealand consciousness um, than the Matildas are. The Matildas are a little bit further advanced. Um, is the wider mainstream media starting to uh, drill down on the narrative of this team? I'll give you an example. Rebecca Stott, just that she should be... Uh, you know, she's a hero of New Zealand football. I mean, she's had that battle with cancer. She's been such a successful player in Europe and Australia in professional football. She's got a great narrative. Does, do New Zealanders know about Rebecca Stott and the and that you know the the journey that she's been on, or is that something that's starting to evolve now? 
Yeah, I think that that it's it's. I think we were aware of Rebecca Stott because that's quite a. I mean, that's a that's a unique case, and that you know, Hodgkin's lymphoma, basically blood cancer, you know, and and she recovered from it and back out playing top level football. But I think what's happening now is that the other players in this team who, you know, leading into this tournament, most of them could walk down the street and not get recognised. You know, we're not talking about Sam Kerr here. We're, we're talking about, you know, pretty anonymous players. But um, what I heard um, today, anecdotally, was when the New Zealand team turned up at the airport in Auckland to fly to Wellington for the game tomorrow, um, you know, they walked into kind of, you know, a common area and they were getting all sorts of people coming over, wanting photos and to hand, shake their hands and to say congratulations. And people know who Hannah Wilkinson is now. People are getting to know who, if they didn't know who Rebecca Stock was, they do now. It's, it's, it's um, you know, this one game, it's astonishing, guys. I mean, I've been around for a little while. I've never seen anything like it. One game completely changing the narrative around a team. And, and it has really given this football cup on our side of the ditch, a, a massive boost that it needed. One player that, when I looked at your squad, there was one player that I didn't think would figure as a starting player in the first game, because um, I thought Paige Satchel might have been a little bit ahead of her, but uh, Indy Paige Riley, uh, Australian football followers uh, in the women's football community will know, actually played under 17s and under 20s for Australia at the Asian Cups. But Indy, um, you know, New Zealand parents grew up in Australia, one of those classic examples of having a, a foot in both camp and the, and the family did really, um, you know, um, toss and turn over their decision. She's made the right one. She's played in a World Cup, but not only did she play, she was brilliant. And she hit that thunderbolt that could have brought the house down and had have gone in. Yeah, we love her over here. We're, we're delighted that she made the decision, obviously, that she did. And, yeah, there are a number of players who had that decision to make, and, and some choose Australia and some choose New Zealand. Yeah, Indy Page Riley, uh, what a little superstar. Um, she had a really good game against Vietnam uh, about 10 days before the tournament started in the 2-0 win that kind of got the Ferns a bit of momentum. She created a lot. She, she set up the second goal for Jackie Hand, was buzzing around all night and really looked as though she had started to believe that she belonged on the stage. And, gee, you're right. I mean, uh, the other night, she yeah, she had that, that effort that was turned away by the Norwegian goalkeeper. I mean, that's the other thing about World Cups is the television coverage is absolutely magnificent. So you get seven or eight angles of things like that. And, gee, it looked good. Um, she, uh, she is a little cracker. Uh, we love having her over here. And alongside Jackie Hand, who set up the goal for... Hannah Wilkinson the other night, another name probably not that familiar to many football fans on either side of the Tasman. Um, you know, you've got a front three now with Wilkinson at the point of the arrow, the experience that she brings, and these two young stars, Indy Page Riley and, and Jackie Hand, looking to provide the bullets for her. So, yeah, there's, um, there's uh, excitement about some of the young players, but also the established stars as well. And what about the Norwegians, uh, Piney? Quarterfinalists in France. They rolled Australia in the round of 16. They did an absolute job on us. They were too fit, too strong and too skilled. Ada Hatterberg back into the camp. She didn't obviously play in France for reasons we all know as a protester to stay away from it. What about the Norwegian camp? They must be rocked by this result. What what are you hearing out of the Norwegian camp and, and what was the coach's response post-match? Yeah, coach's response was, as you'd expect, they they were very, very disappointed. Um, they, they came to this tournament, uh, you know, as the top seed in, in Group A, um, the only group, I believe, that doesn't have a side inside the world's top 10 in it. Norway are 12th and they would... Uh, they, they would, uh, sorry guys, they would. That was my fault. So they would totally have, um, have, 
um, hope to, to get a win and to, to launch themselves into the round of 16, not to be. And, um, and so all of a sudden, they're now faced with a situation where if they don't beat Switzerland tomorrow, um, they could well find themselves, uh, you know, I mean, a loss and they're out. If they lose to Switzerland tomorrow, Norway are not going into the round of 16. They are, they are going home, uh, which wouldn't do it all. As far as the players were concerned, well, you know, there's the mixed zone uh, um, after a game where the players walk past all of the assembled media. I can tell you it was heads down. Uh, not making any eye contact with any of the journalists. None of the players wanted to chat at all from Norway after that game. Whereas, you know, as you probably understand from a New Zealand point of view, everybody wanted to stop for a chat, which was great. So, yeah, they'll, um, they'll regroup, though. You know, they, they weren't at their best by any stretch against uh, us on Thursday night. But they will have to be way, way better and need to get something, at least something, out of the game against Switzerland tomorrow. Let's just say uh, New Zealand do get through to the knockout stages, which is realistic very realistic right now the crossover is into group c which is uh, japan spain costa rica and zambia uh, so you know with that due respect to, to zambia and costa rica uh, the, the likely top two in that group are the winners from the opening uh, fixtures japan and spain uh, the uh, the history against both sides really for the football ferns isn't too bad you don't have to go back uh, you know, in the last decade, and you see uh, respectable results against Japan, no wins, but uh, but a, a, a two-all draw uh, uh, against Spain, and um, uh, you know, uh, did Japan play, Rob. Say again. Did you see Japan play? I did, but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, did you see Norway play? And, uh, you know, they are ranked reasonably highly in the world too, Michael. So, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts? Oh, tough. Very tough, yeah. Um, Japan, oh, yeah, against Zambia the other night, they were they were terrific. I think the best performance across ninety minutes by any team at the tournament up till this point, they they just looked outstanding to me. So yeah, that's a team that uh, that is going places. And then Spain uh, the other night, they you know dominated that game against Costa Rica. I think they had more shots than any team has ever had in a women's World Cup match. Forty five or forty six shots. They only scored three of them, so perhaps that'll be a bit boring for them as far as the uh, the Spanish and the Japanese are concerned. Two really good teams. And you're right, that's who New Zealand will cross over against. I think what they'll be thinking is, OK, we've got to get there first. Mm. And to get there, that will require them to put in two more good performances against the Philippines tomorrow, against Switzerland on Sunday. And by that stage, momentum will have built. And home advantage is a funny thing, guys, uh, you know, that has to be part of why New Zealand was successful on Thursday at Eden Park. The players themselves said it. We were lifted by that crowd. We were well and truly inspired by the full house at Eden Park. So, look, should New Zealand get to that point um, and go through to the round of 16, be it against Japan or against Spain, then they'll go into that game with the kind of belief that that their results up to that point will have given them. So, in so far as uh, you know, the tournament's barely a week old. Uh, obviously, uh, you know the the balloon could be pricked if if a couple of poor performances uh, come up. But no one will ever take away that um, that opening win against Norway. We wouldn't expect uh, the uh, football firms to, to to drop off a cliff. We're expecting them to maintain a, a solid momentum and make a, a real um, a real campaign over the, the next two games and give themselves a chance of getting out of the group. So let's. Let's say, are we saying success is getting out of the group and a respectable performance in that round of 16? Anything beyond that is in the stratosphere. 
Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what we're thinking, and that was the that was the thinking before the tournament as well. Is 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 to win a game for the first time ever again? We know the history: fifteen games at World Cups without a win, twelve defeats and three draws. So a win was certainly seen as as one of the goals, and getting out of the group was the second one. And they kind of go hand in hand. If you get one of those things, the win, then it's likely that you're going to uh, go a long way to getting out of the group. Certainly, if you get two wins, then you're uh, you're all but there. Uh, and, and you're right, but once we get through to that round of 16, I think, you know, we are talking about some pretty decent football sides. So anything beyond, a, um, you know, a round of 16 clash with, as we've mentioned already, Japan or Spain, if the Ferns were to su- successfully negotiate that and find themselves <laughs> in the giddy heights of the quarterfinals of the Football World Cup, I think that would be beyond everybody's wildest expectations. So, yeah, let's get them out of the group first. Mm-hmm. Let's get them into a into a round of 16 match where we can have some real excitement around what that might hold. And um, and then, yeah, I think a respectable showing against one of those two sides uh, and, you know, a, a not, um, you know, a, a not catastrophic exit at that mm. point would probably be seen as a success given the backdrop of uh, the way the team went into the tournament. Pony, yeah. what's the weather forecast in uh, Wellington tomorrow? Is it going to be an <laughs> Arctic blast? Are those little tropical Filipinas going to be frozen or what's going to happen down there at Wellington we know the weather in August in New Zealand it can be torrential Arctic downpours it can be windy it's uh you know it's one of those places what are you predicting tomorrow yeah the same as summer world cup that's for sure um look I I've had a look at the forecast it's actually better than it has been for the games that have been here so far that the South Africa Sweden game was played uh in pretty Arctic yeah, look, conditions. Cold. Yeah, look really cold. The both teams, uh, you know, I think it gets pretty cold in Sweden, but they looked they looked pretty cold on the sideline as did the South Africans. Uh, tomorrow, it's it's. I don't think it's supposed to rain or blow quite as much tomorrow. In fact, it might even be a fairly pleasant sort of an afternoon for a game of football. It's meant to pack in a bit later on in the evening, but it's a five thirty kickoff local time. So by the time that rain possibly does arrive around nine o'clock, the players and everybody else will be home. Uh, tucked up and in, uh, in their warm houses anyway. So yeah, that's a long-winded way of saying that the forecast for tomorrow isn't too bad. Should be um, should be pretty pleasant for for, for players who I guess uh, don't really want to be running around in 45 degree heat. You're not going to get that in Wellington. The TV ratings were something that we kept a real close eye on going into this tournament because it's one thing to have the bubble and all of the uh, the people who are into the tournament uh, turn up and talk about it and. Uh, and, and listen to podcasts and and so on, but the TV ratings determine what the broader community within the country is thinking. And in Australia, uh, I know I for one was shocked that that the uh, the Matildas pulled the five city the five cap cities uh, on the mainland uh, audience of one point two million. The next most watched show was the the uh, the evening news bulletin on the network seven, the host of the tournament, and the Ashes. Right, so this is day two of the fourth test, and you know how how uh, um, epic this Ashes series has been. Pulled five hundred and forty six thousand, so well under half the the Matildas audience. What have the TV ratings been like over in New Zealand, mate? Yeah, well, that was the other success with the game on Thursday night. It was the biggest television audience uh, ever to watch a, uh, a football match in New Zealand, full stop. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. that was it. It, it was uh, it helped that it was on uh, free to air as well as uh, through Sky Sport, so that opened it up to a wider audience. That the the on the on the night attendance at Eden Park was the largest uh, attendance ever at a football game in New Zealand. And yeah, the next day the figures came out that it was. Uh, 
in the in the vicinity of 1.2 million. This is in a country of five million people. Let's not forget. So mm. one in one in five uh, is that right? I've got the maths right there. I think yeah, we, yeah. more than one in five. Yeah, more than one. Yeah, we're we're watching the football, and and I get the feeling it'll be exactly the same uh, tomorrow and again on Sunday. So yeah, the um I haven't seen specific ratings for the other games, and and obviously there's going to be a lot more people watching the home side, but um but. I tell you this, guys. Anecdotally, you know, I mean, we move in football circles. We're used to talking about this game. Um, I don't know about you guys, but my non-football friends have been messaging me, have been getting in touch. All, as I said before, anybody wants to talk about at the moment is the football ferns and the football world cup. And I and, and have you got any tickets lying around, Piney? I'm sure they're asking that question. <laughs> I've certainly had that. Always lying around, aren't they? When people ask me, I think, oh, let me just check the floor. There should be a few on the floor somewhere. <laughs> That's why I get them normally. It's just it's on the floor in the corner of the studio. Yeah, you know, there have been plenty of requests for tickets to players. I'm sure the Matildas of the same yeah. have, had, have had been inundated and have had to be fairly careful with who they give their allocation to. But isn't it great that we're talking about it in these in these positive terms? Yeah, absolutely, mate. It is. Well, look, uh, uh, enjoy the coming weeks. Hopefully, we'll talk to you again before this thing's out, mate. And we we have a yarn to you before that um, round of sixteen match, and uh, and we all get super excited about how how far our uh, respective um, women's sides are going to go. It. Uh, I think we can already say that um, it took a little while for for the burn to really explode, but the tournaments have it well and truly the lids blown off in both countries and I think uh, that those of us who had expected that this was going to be uh, exactly what it has turned out to be and that is the the biggest sporting event in either country in in many many years regardless of Olympics and regardless of rugby World Cups that um, that the performance of our, our uh, football ferns and Matildas is um, is uh, really putting the icing on the cake mate yeah, it's it's a great time to be involved in the game. I totally agree. It's uh, it's it's here, and the next three or four weeks are going to be tremendously exciting on on both sides of the ditch. So look, happy to chat football with you guys at any time. You know that you've got Beauty. the number. So look forward to uh, to doing it again soon. Yeah, we sure will, Piney. Thank you so much, mate. And uh, if you uh, are uh, wondering who is the voice of football in New Zealand, if you're listening to this in Australia, mate, you just heard it from Sky Sports New Zealand, Jason Pine. Okay, stick around after the break. We're all excited about the performance of the Matildas and the football ferns, but uh, the Lionesses, the reigning European champions, they just got out of jail and could easily have split the points against Haiti. We're going to find out what the reaction is back in England with Charlotte Harper after the break from The Athletic. Gentlemen, it's time to talk about our friends at Chemist Warehouse, because right now at Chemist Warehouse, you can get half price off BioGlan vitamins. Derek, um, you topped up on your vitamins, mate? I always do with more, Rob, so tell me more about that BioGlan. Absolutely. BioGlan Active Magnesium PM Night Formula, 60 tablets for $15.49. Magnesium, good before you sleep, helps to relax the muscles, get a good night's sleep. Now, Michael, if you've got any inflammation in some of those weary joints of yours, you need the red krill oil from BioGlan, 2174 for 60 capsules. You can go through those in a week. I would. I'll tell you what, who went through them in a week was... Uh... 
Obi Ifejino from uh, Japan. She was on fire on the weekend. I reckon she's had a bit of krill or I reckon she might have because those joints of hers were just firing. And if you get a little bit of pain um, when you wake up uh, in the morning or at night time, get onto the curcumin double strength, the BioGland 70 tablets of $43.97. Really good accompaniment to uh, the likes of krill oil for your pain relief. Excludes bulk sizes. Remember, in addition to visiting your local chemist warehouse store, you can order online and click and collect to save time or choose fast delivery for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, the great savings are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, we've just had a chat with Jason Pine from Sky Sports New Zealand. They're absolutely partying over there after the football ferns knocked off Norway in the opening match. But slightly different story, despite the fact that the outcome was exactly the same. One nil, three points. You'd think that the Lionesses would be happy. But Haiti sort of almost spoiled the party. The uh, fact that England did get away with the three points uh, doesn't betray the, the full story of the script. And Serena Wiegmann's English woman will have a, a lot of uh, soul searching to do after the moral victory almost went to the opposition and to talk about it from uh, the UK uh, is our next guest from the Athletic Charlotte Harper and we welcome Charlotte for the first time to Box to Box. How are you Charlotte? I'm very well thank you Rob, how are you? Yeah really good Charlotte. So is that a fair assessment um, the way I, I describe it that uh, you know so I mean, we, we know there's a lot of injuries, a lot of retirements um, but the Lionesses just look rusty. Um, they haven't scored an open a goal in open play in their last four outings um, and, uh, and and this was not the performance that even the most um, pessimistic of uh, observers would have expected. I think rusty is the word, Rob. Um, England are not firing off all cylinders yet. Soul searching, uh, I think that would be uh, quite deep. I don't think we're quite there yet. There's no need to hit the panic button. Um, but England went into this tournament not in the best form and that showed in their 1-0 victory against Haiti. We know as of last year with the Euros, with that 1-0 win against Austria, it was a nervous performance and they got the three points. This was a chaotic performance, but still the same result, three points, and that's the main goal for them, as cliched as it sounds. So, yeah, we know that um, the performance against Austria in the Euros was uh, a bit shaky and we also know how that ended. Uh, but despite, you know, you'd never expect anyone in a professional organisation to say they underestimated an opponent. We're never going to hear that. But to an outside observer, it, it sort of felt that along with the ring rust that there was a degree of underestimation. I mean, is that being too harsh or, or were Haiti just good enough to, to turn up on, on the night and, um, and play to the best of their ability and, uh, and, and make England um, look uh, not at their best? I don't think they underestimated Haiti. England will have done their preparation very well. Uh, Ayan Vurink, who is Serena Wiegmann's assistant, he always leads the opposition meetings. He's very meticulous in his preparation. I think the problem was that England didn't execute their plan. And they then knew what to expect, but they just couldn't handle Haiti. Uh, Haiti at times completely outclassed England physically. One of our you know, quickest players, Lauren Hemp, or even Jess Carter at the back. Um, 
Melchi Dumonet would just speed past her. So execution of the plan was the problem. And Serena Wiegmann said about ruthlessness. And well, what does that mean? That's, you know, the timing of the crosses in the box, the timing of the runs. It just wasn't clicking for England. Looking at some of the results across the tournament, the big teams, so to speak, haven't had it all their own way. We've seen France uh, drop some points overnight to Jamaica. Obviously, uh, Canada didn't get the start they wanted either. Is there a sense that some of these teams like Haiti and Nigeria and, and, and Jamaica and others, that the gap is closing, despite the fact that it seems like England have such a galaxy of riches, relatively speaking, in terms of their resourcing and the clubs that they play for and, and, and the competition that they're exposed to. Do you think there is a, a closing of the gaps here in the women's game? Absolutely. Uh, my colleague Michael Cox has just written a piece uh, about this on The Athletic. I encourage you to go and read it. Uh, about the underdogs, and, and we feared with the expanded tournament to 32 teams that there would be some cricket scores. We said we wouldn't minute, mention the uh, cricket. Um but there would be cricket scores like uh, United States thrashing Thailand at the 2019 World Cup. That hasn't happened as of yet at the time of recording Germany uh, are leading Morocco. So we'll see with that one. But it just shows that if federations put resources into their teams of the poorer countries, how well they can deliver and how they've got a dearth of talent on offer. Um, but you look at... Uh, Haiti, uh, New Zealand against Norway, uh, Jamaica, Nigeria, East South Africa against Sweden. You know, they're really tightly contested games. And you think, wow, in a couple of years' time, if, if federations continue to invest in these countries, you're going to have such a spicy competition. And can you tell us a little bit more before we move on from, from Haiti, Melchi, uh, Demonet, as you mentioned before, was a, a key player for them and and... and of course, plies, plies her trade at a, at a higher level than some of her teammates. Do you think, you know, what kind of game does she have and do you think she could um, do some damage to other teams in the tournament? Definitely. I, I kind of hope Haiti do get points off China and Denmark so that we can see her more in action, perhaps in the knockouts. But she's a very quick, uh, direct, attacking midfielder, um, dexterous on, on both her left foot and right foot. Uh, she said that, um, I think it was her auntie who gave her a doll when she was younger and her family knew that she wanted to play football because she ripped off the head's doll and started kicking it. So that is the ruthlessness that comes with Melchi Dumonet. Um, she was the top for goal contributions for Reims in the French League and Lyon have snatched her up. They gave her a trial in 2018. Uh, so Lyon... Eight-time Champions League winners have a real gem of a player um, to nourish, and she's only 19. Uh, again, um, The Athletic has the radar, so go and read more about Melchi Dumonet and other breakout stars of the tournament on The Athletic. And you mentioned ruthlessness before. Just wondering how ruthless uh, Serena Wiegman's going to be with England's selection for the next game. She, she uh, I think in the Euros, picked the same team consistently throughout the tournament and that seems to be vindicated. Do you think she'll do the same again against Denmark, give the same 11 a chance? Or do you think there was something in some of the substitutes that, that came on for England that might make her think about a bit of a shuffle for this game? I'm really intrigued to see Serena Wiegmann starting 11 for the next game. Yeah, you're right. Um, same startling 11 
for every match of the Euros. No manager has ever done that across the men's and women's. And she was similar um, with the Netherlands as well, really liked consistency in her lineup. But having yeah. said that, she she won't uh, cut off her nose to spite her face. If she thinks that there's a footballing reason to start somebody else ahead of um, another player, she will do that. So, for example, Rachel Daly coming in for Alessia Russo at the number nine. Ella Toon has looked really poor in, in the number 10 position. Would she start Lauren James there? Uh, maybe a shuffle at the back as well. Um, not necessarily in starting, but in position if Alex Greenwood comes in at centre-back. So definitely can, some question marks over this England squad. So Denmark on Friday night, I know I'm... We're recording from Melbourne and I've got friends in Sydney uh, contacting me, asking for tickets uh, 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 outside of Australia. Uh, England is uh, the, the team that uh, that is selling out all of the the matches you can, you can buy tickets on on the, the the secondary platform the resale platform for most games apart from Australia and England in the tournament so uh, in, in Sydney uh, this this is going to be a veritable home match against Denmark uh, are your expectations that um, that this side will find their groove and, uh, uh, and and we did see Denmark unconvincing against China um, and um, and we'll start to see them um, build that momentum or are you concerned that um, that the team isn't what it was and um, and is uh, another level below that um, that title winning team that uh, that won the euros I'm not overly convinced by England at the moment even their second match in the euros they went on and thrashed Norway 8-0 and that was a that was a surprise um, D- Denmark are a threat they have a very um, young but also a talented midfield and the threat in Penilla Harder, who moved from Chelsea to Bayern Munich. So players to watch out for there. Uh, I don't think it's an easy game. So look at France, for example, uh, drew nil-nil um, against Jamaica, but now have Panama, which is, you know, a bit of a breather. I don't think Denmark is a breather for England. Uh, what's true is that something has to start clicking now. Um it's not rushed and, and Serena Wiegmann won't be panicking. She She's very calm in those situations. But with a test like Denmark, you, you can't underestimate them at all. No, not at all. So we'll, let's assume that England get out of the group one way or the other, whether they finish first or second in the group uh, um, right now would appear immaterial because uh, that group B, which they cross over into, is roundly acknowledged as the group of death. There are some tough groups, obviously, in this tournament, but uh, uh, we, uh, Derek and I, were at uh, the Nigeria-Canada match on day two of the tournament, and uh, Canada uh, were, were really taken all, all the way uh, by Nigeria in that um, in that stalemate. And uh, the Republic of Ireland against Australia stood up to the pressure, admittedly with Sam Kerr missing, uh, and uh, and were probably stiff not to have, uh, have, have taken a point away from that match so your thoughts on England's next round opponent uh, once uh, they as we expect inevitably get out of the group uh, uh, has it changed since we've seen those opening matches no it hasn't changed I think um, Wiegmann will, will always want to top the group she won't be playing these mind games of oh, if we finish second we'll f- um, face uh, you know if they want to play Canada or Australia or whoever whoever it is they'll, they'll be very focused game by game. Um, 
no matter who England face in that round of 16, it, it's not an easy draw at all. Um, and I think we're at that first round of games where we're n- not quite sure. We've taken the temperature, but every no team, even the US who beat Vietnam 3-0, we actually expected more from them, has really hit their stride. Um, so still, still a lot of games to be played. My preference would be playing uh, Canada in the round of 16, but I may come to regret that, <laughs> especially given Australia's home crowd, I think. You know, yeah, round of 16, England versus Canada, that would be the preference. I'd love to see the Republic of Ireland, though. Wouldn't that be a game? That would be feisty, I tell mm. you what. But, yeah. You know, Ireland could do it. First mm. World Cup, nothing to lose. And they, you know, they really grafted it against Australia and were unfortunate to come away without a point. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, before we let you go, Charlotte, um, you're you're back home. Um, the 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 vibe of the World Cup from from England right now. Are, are you sensing that the that the broader public are, are springboarding from the success of the Euros and that they're right into it? Uh, uh, we're we're not expecting right now in this evolution in every stage for the women's game that going to be just like the men's world cup eventually in in the fullness of time that will happen but right now it's not quite the case um can you describe to us just what the reaction is at home well after the euros you just saw that it's huge it's like unbelievable my friends who weren't even interested in football kind of you know texting and following the women's super league the domestic league uh going into the world cup i think it's a, a steady uh, uptake uh, it, had, it hasn't caught the na- nation's attention yet, uh, especially with the games kicking off early morning. It's not like that kind of pub culture where you're going after work. Um, but we had this in the Euros as well. Only the nation really tuned in when you think, oh, our country have a chance to win something. And that was after the Spain win in the quarterfinals, semifinals. So I don't think tournaments have really kicked off until... Um, the nitty gritty stage of the knockouts. So yeah, it's um, a, a, it's light and night and day between the Euros when you're hosting and then a World Cup mm. on the other side of the world. Hey Charlotte, look, it's been a delight to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for making the time for us. Um, enjoy the rest of the tournament. Uh, uh, we think England um, will find uh, their mojo, and uh, and we're expecting them to go pretty deep. So. Um, Hopefully for you they do, and um, and we get to, to watch uh, a lot more of uh, these uh, wonderful lionesses um, uh, prowling around the, uh, the the great southern lands of Australia and New Zealand. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Charlotte Harper from The Athletic. If you haven't already subscribed to The Athletic, do yourself a favour and do it, and you'll see some of the best football copy that there is, not only on the Women's World Cup, but on the Premier League, the Championship, uh, all of the European uh, tournaments, and and a lot of other sport uh, as well. Okay, stick around. Uh, It's a World Cup fiesta here on box to box we're going to talk more of it after the break everybody's going to buy we always say we love cooking and eating on this show don't we in fact we do like cooking but it's better to eat when you don't cook as my good friend johnny Accardo says spices from hoyts change the mood of your food uh, it was something that really really emerged during the pandemic where a lot of people were cooking at home and uh, and in the supermarkets the the sales of herbs and spices really reflect that and uh, 
it's going on still to, to this day. I mean, uh, people are, are cooking a lot at home and using herbs and spices. So if you haven't gotten on the bandwagon yet, I want you to try this. Do you like meatballs? Extend the family meal with mints um, and make a meal that's hearty and flavoursome and you can uh, use it maybe on a, a meatball sub the next day, like a sandwich, then why wouldn't you make a whole batch? Yeah, so you get the, so you get whatever mints you want. You get lamb, beef, pork. I like a combination of pork and veal mints, Italian style. Grate a red onion, a red chilli, get a teaspoon of cumin, paprika and turmeric, and get a thumbprint size of grated ginger, some salt and pepper, coriander and parsley chopped up, one egg, whisk it, two cans of tomatoes for your sauce and some garlic in the sauce. You make the meatballs about a golf ball size, fry them off, take them out, then saute the garlic, put the tomato in, let it sweat down, and then put the meatballs back in. Bit of couscous, uh, some pasta, made absolutely delicious, Michael. Remember, refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy if you do with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths, and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box The Athletic. It's the gift that keeps on giving Charlotte Harper. What a lovely interview and a lovely... uh, chat with uh, with her and uh, yeah moderate expectations uh, right now for the lionesses but uh, i think they will find their as i said mojo before we said farewell to charlotte so derek um the matildas without sam kerr we talked at the top of the show about um you know the worst case scenario of her not playing at all it's a tricky time it certainly is and you know you can think about international tournaments and last men and in there um, either a team has uh, gone without their their best player, or have tried to play their best player. And I'm I'm obviously very England centric, so I can think of um, Harry Kane and uh, being kind of pushed out when he hasn't been 100 fit. Wayne Rooney is another one from the past as well. So it just happens. So Edge um, Australia have got a bit of a, a bit of a problem here, and or maybe they don't because maybe the solution lies within the talented squad that they put together, what what are the options, Edge? What do you think they're going to do? Well, if we have a look uh, back at the match against Ireland, he went with uh, Courtney Vine on the left, Hayley Rasser on the right. He pushed Caitlin forward into the number nine position and he had Mary Fowler probably playing as a false nine or as number, number 10, depending on uh, which way you look at your structures. Um, and I thought... Um, For me, there was two really glaring problems that he needs to really address before the next game. One was, despite the fact that Courtney Vine has electric pace, the quality of her final ball is really poor. And she did get in some good positions and just wasted them. Um, We lose a lot of drive and the ability... Caitlin Ford normally plays on the left end. She can uh, provide a lot of drive along the byline. She gets pass plays. She cuts back in. She's very dangerous. We lost that drive um, by having Caitlin as number nine. So I think maybe one formation that he might consider would be to um, would be to take uh, Vine onto the bench, um, inject Van Egmond, allows him to put Ford back on the left, push Fowler as the number nine, uh, and and Van Egmond as the number ten, um, which he's very very effective at, and that will probably mean that we won't have to play so many long balls. You probably noticed watching the coverage, guys, there was a lot of long balls that were, were not real, really well 
well targeted. They were looking to get Razzo and Vine in behind the defence. It it really didn't work. We didn't we didn't look dangerous on the, on on the counter in any way. And I'd much rather see with with a player like Fowler, who's very good in tight spots, uh, and you know we're probably likely to come up as with five women defences like the Irish played. I just think that's maybe a better formation. Uh, whether Van Engwand is, um, you know, she's been injured, so she's probably not match fit at the moment. But I think that's, I don't know whether you saw that, Rob, what were your thought of Courtney Vine's game? Despite the fact that she has electric pace, which is very uh, seducing, you know, the quality of her in-close work is, it lets her down. Yeah, well, look, my biggest concern was the, the other match that we watched and we talked about it earlier on uh, at Amy Park that um, Canada and Nigeria are going to be really difficult opponents and that regardless of uh, of how Tony Gustafsson sets the the next match up against Nigeria on Thursday night at Suncorp Stadium. He is going to uh, get a really physical, stern test from this Nigerian outfit. Uh, uh, their approach was to uh, sit deep in a low block, uh, and and really uh, it, it felt like it was a, a strategy they were going to to employ for the entire game until all hell broke loose midway through the first half, and uh, and they had the better of it uh, for the back end of the half. So uh, they they looked a very organised team and um, and they looked uh, uh, they, like they, they knew each other well and and they were they were very very dangerous they had opportunities and I think they'll be all the better for the run so I think this is a real tricky game on, on Thursday night against Nigeria It is a tricky game but the game changes now because Nigeria mm. they have to win they've had mm. a draw if they win mm. they really get through to the round of 16 mm. most likely mm. so they will have to play a more attacking game they'll have to score which creates mm. opportunities for Australia mm. we just need to hold our nerve I think our defensive mm-hmm. structure is pretty good mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's pretty experienced so um, I just think we need to hold our nerve and we'll get our chances because the games change in the second game mm-hmm. of the group phase they change dramatically mm-hmm. and, um, I'm mm-hmm. expecting Nigeria they'll have to take risks Yep, yep, they will. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that other game and the way that the group's shape, isn't it, after that second game. And, and because no matter what, win, lose or draw, Australia are, are still alive in that final match uh, on uh, on Monday uh, Monday week, 31st of uh, July against Canada in uh, in Melbourne at Amy Park. Now, uh, gentlemen, it's been a real fun show tonight. Really enjoyed chatting to, to Jason uh, with you, Edge, and Charlotte with you, Derek. Uh, we, uh, we're going to regroup for stoppage time. It's going to be a World Cup featured or World Cup themed stoppage time. So, uh, so looking forward to that. So, Edge, uh, we'll talk to you uh, back again then, mate. Yeah, looking forward to stoppage time. I've got a few little tidbits that uh, will excite people or maybe not, Rob. <laughs> As you always do. Derek, you too. See you in a couple of days. Yeah, see you soon, gents. Thank you. And to you, our listeners, thanks again for joining us. We hope you're enjoying the World Cup and our coverage of it. Please subscribe to Box to box stoppage time and offside wherever you get your podcasts. If you didn't catch our Heather Reed feature before the tournament started on offside, please do. You hopefully you'll enjoy that one. Tweet us at box to box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and give us a review if you can. Five stars would be nice. And join us throughout the week as those podcasts drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.